What's good everyone, Matt here from UK Nets Fans and I'm joined this week by Ada McConaughey and Cammie Anderson for another episode of BK to UK, the British Brooklyn Nets podcast. On today's episode, we'll be discussing Kyrie Irving coming back from his self-imposed exile and talking to the media, the growing pains that the Nets have been going through in this new Big 3 era, and a new roster spot addition and much more. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at UK Nets Fans, the pod itself on Twitter at BK to UK pod, and subscribe to us on YouTube by searching UK Nets Fans, where you can watch back all of our episodes. With that out of the way, let's get into it. We'll kick off with Kyrie returning from his uh, personal reasons absence. Um, he spoke to the media uh, on Tuesday ahead of the Cavs game for the first time since his prolonged absence. Um I'm sure you guys have watched it, but what do you guys think of um, of what the man had to say? I mean, I couldn't help but feel sorry for him the, the whole way and kind of right near the end, it looked like he was about to burst into tears. I felt the exact same. It was, you could really tell that he is mentally drained and he, he really kind of wasn't in a good place and kind of, I think he tried to put in a brave face and say, right, I'm going to come out here and kind of speak and stuff like that. But you could tell that it wasn't the Kyrie that we know and love. He just, the kind of way he was slumped over and just kind of, way he was speaking and just kind of his demeanour wasn't really there for, for what we kind of expect from Kylie and it was it was a real shame to kind of see him in in, in such a state to if, if that's the way you could kind of correctly put it because yeah you never want to see anyone like that and yeah it, it really wasn't a nice sight Yeah no 100% I have to admit when I watched it I was worried about Kyrie he just looked so uncomfortable there um, just the way kind of YouTube worked as well it had on the recommended video, so it kind of automatically plays the next video. I had his video from a uh, training camp straight after, and just the uh, I watched it and just the sheer kind of difference in his mannerisms and his mood uh, compared to that, you just know that something serious has happened there. Um, obviously, you can speculate as much as you want with kind of family and personal issues um, that could be behind this, uh, but at the end of the day, it did look like he was kind of just not mentally well. Um, it, it was the one point when Kristen Winfield asked him, um, he just basically said, are you okay mentally? He's like, we just want to make sure you're okay. And he just nodded. And I mean, he, he did look okay. I mean, when, when you watch the kind of the games back this week, he did look like his usual self, which just shows you it's like he can turn it on and he can just be that star basketball player. Um, but yeah, he looked really uncomfortable in that interview. And I hope I hope he feels better soon because it was really tough to watch. Yeah, I mean, even just his, his body language where he was, you could tell it sort of on a Zoom call because he's kind of just sort of chin on his hands, just kind of leaning forward. He just looked like really, like you say, like just really uncomfortable and just shattered. Um, sort of drained physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, just sort of, I, I've pulled out a couple of um, things that he did say, um, just for anyone that's not seen it, the full thing. Um, he said the reason for his absence was just a lot of family and personal stuff going on. So I just want to leave it at that. Um, I think it's a nice sort of, I think it I didn't notice the reporters really pushing it, which I think was good, but it wouldn't have surprised me if they had kind of really pushed it because I think, you know, you can get some kind of scummy kind of journalists that would kind of try that. Um, but I think it was nice that that kind of set the tone and Kyrie was like, look, it's, it's this, but, you know, without really saying any more, he was like, that's 
I'm not going to say any more than that. Um, and, you know, in, in any other walk of life, if you said that to someone as a, as a reason why you miss work, you wouldn't really get any follow-up questions because, you know, people respect your privacy. Um, he you know, was asked a question about what he said to his teammates because obviously there was quite a lot of speculation um, saying that he just didn't show up and he wasn't texting Steve Natch back and all this kind of stuff. Uh, on that, he said, I take full accountability for my absence with the guys. I just had a conversation with each one of them and we move on. Um, I think that second half of that quote is um, is the key. It's just like, look, it was it's cool. Like, I get, it's one of them, like, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but we can just kind of go off what people say. And, and now Kyrie's kind of said, look, I had a conversation with everyone and that's it. And we move on. Um, but talking of moving on, do you think do you think this is the end of, of this particular issue with Kyrie and, and how it's reported and or is it going to keep getting dragged up? I think in terms of the media, it's it's always going to be a thing with Kyrie where it's constantly going to be talked about. I mean, Kyrie could be the MVP at the end of the season after having a incredible year and they'll still refer back to that time when he took the time out you know it's, there's always going to be an agenda around Kyrie regardless of what he does um, in terms of his kind of issues himself I, I'd like to think that the fact that he's back playing is a sign that he is kind of mentally getting there uh, which is good because I think Kyrie is that type of guy where if he wasn't all there he, he wouldn't he wouldn't come and play because um, he's quite strong-minded like that and I don't think he would put the kind of team ahead of his own mental well-being, which I totally appreciate. Um, but I mean, if in terms of his kind of playing, if you just have a look at how, he, how he's been this week uh, and his numbers compared to what he was he was like before um, he, came, he came off, um, they're better. And if I'm more than happy, if he's going to turn up like that all the time, I hope I hope he can get mentally there. But in terms of on the, on the court, he's definitely all there already, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think if this is Kyrie who's maybe not feeling at 100% personal and he's doing this well, I mean, it's a scary prospect to imagine what it'll be like when he is feeling back himself again. But with regards to whether this is the last, I think it's perhaps the last we'll hear of this issue, whether more crop up throughout the season. Obviously, we don't know. Obviously, Kyrie is, is never too far from, I guess you could say, controversy. As Aidan says, the media do kind of have a bit of an agenda against him. So anything he's going to do, I can't imagine that we've seen the last of Kyrie kind of get dragged in the media at all, but hopefully it's as little as possible. And yeah, let, let's hope that he's back feeling himself as soon as possible. And there's kind of as little disruption both for him personally, the team and just everything in general, because nobody really needs that, especially at this time in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think what, one of the sort of more, the closing questions that he got on it was if he had a message to the fans um, he said to the fans out there, I want to apologize to them as well. My commitment has always been to bring something special to Brooklyn. It wasn't just a championship. It was unity, equality, and just bigger things than the game itself. So I think that kind of perfectly encapsulates the whole situation. I think just like he's, he's a deep bloke who, you know, I think kind of takes the weight of the world on his shoulders, I think as well. So obviously we've all seen the, the kind of, philanthropy that he's done and all the good causes that he's supported as well as trying to sort of you know have all the media scrutiny of being one of the best players in the league and I think that I think that just all got on top of him um, but it sounds like he's had the support around him um, to kind of say you know you can you're you're just a guy you're just, you're just a human uh, just like you and me um, 
so fingers crossed he's got a bit more perspective and he's got a bit more of a, a coping mechanism but hopefully as you say I, will, I think we'll probably touch on his performance on the court a little bit later but if if that if he keeps playing like he's playing then you know we're gonna have plenty to talk about with on the court issues uh, not issues on the court stories let's say um but talking on the court, we've had you know a couple of day, a couple of days, a couple of games with uh, the big three working together. Uh, it's been a little bit rocky, a little bit bumpy. Um, but you know what has stood out to you guys with how scary hours, as it's been dubbed in Nets world, has been uh, has been shaping up. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it certainly looked really promising, even if the results on the court maybe haven't been quite what we wanted them to be in the past week or so. I think there's been a lot to kind of like. Obviously, they've been trying to do this all on the fly. They've probably not had much time to train with one another. And also, I've had Kyrie to in back. We've had KD out for load management. So there, there's not really been much time for them all to play together. And in a game that they did all play together, the first of the doubleheader against the Cavs, I mean, they basically all played for near enough an hour and, I mean, I think near the end of that, you could tell they were really struggling. Obviously, that's not something sustainable, but something that is certainly sustainable is the way that I think Steve Nash has managed them thus far and that is typically it will start with all three of them and then one will come off, there'll be two on, and then there'll kind of be a wee bit of rotation like that. And I mean, I think that works fine. And then when we also need to bring all three on, we do it and it, it tends to work. It's more than anything, I think it's a kind of second unit that let us down when, when this trio aren't on the court. But... I mean, for the first few games, results aside, I think there's a lot to certainly be excited about. And I think as the weeks go on, they're only going to get get better and, and even scarier. So, yeah, watch out NBA. Yeah, um, I mean, it was it was interesting. Obviously, you guys talked last week about when we saw Harden and KD playing for the first time together. And it looked like they hadn't, they just carried on playing from the OKC days because they were absolutely dominating as a duo. Um, in terms of the kind of big three playing together, I knew it wasn't going to be immediate uh, with adding Kyrie into the equation. Um, obviously, I think with a, the thing that I was looking at mainly was the, the backcourt. Uh, and obviously, the way Kyrie and Harden were going to gel as a duo. Um, I mean, you can put KD in any situation. You know he's going to dominate. Um, but as a backcourt, Kyrie and Harden, I was just really intrigued as to see how they would get on together. And I could see that they, there's definitely some, some gelling that's required there, especially with kind of ball handling duties, um, things like assists and things. I, I, I think at times Kyrie kind of carried on so much from when he started uh, the season that he was taking a lot of shots where he potentially could have passed, which is just, it will come eventually. Um, it's just once they figure out their duties and um, obviously KD is going to carry on being KD, I think they'll eventually... Uh, managed to form that trio in the kind of minutes that they're looking for. Uh, but if, from what we saw, I mean, I, I was delighted with it. I mean, you can look at it in terms of the stats as a kind of casual fan. You can just read the box scores and go, oh, it didn't look as good as people thought it would be. But from actually watching the games, you can just tell that these guys are going to dominate for a long time. And they're just so individually talented that it, I just don't think it couldn't, it couldn't not work, if you see what I mean, that they're that good that it's, it has to work, basically. Yeah, I think a lot of people have been saying that, you know, great players find a way to make it work. Um, and I think that's going to be the case for this next team. Um, it's been really interesting to see James Harden more as a facilitator um, rather than, you know, a really high volume scorer. Um, 
you know, it's almost he's he's really the 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 point guard for this team, and and Kyrie's kind of playing off him in that kind of shooting guard role. Um, so that's going to be really really interesting. But yeah, I think you know the big. I think any at any one point in a Brooklyn Nets game, there needs to be two of the big three and Joe Harris on the on the floor at, at any one time. Because then I think you know that that's almost instant offense, uh, and then you can surround them with defense or, or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, I think it's this. It's a very very positive time to be uh, to be a Nets fan with these guys. Uh, and I keep saying it's gonna it's just gonna, a nice problem to have for Steve Nash is trying to figure out how to fit these pieces together. Um, Nash's playing days, he was a, an offensive genius, so it's gonna be. I'm sure it will come. Uh, I've said that you know, give them ten or fifteen games to really get their um, get their groove, find their form, find their um, chemistry, and yeah, it's it's going to be over. Um, I do think they're all playing too many minutes. We touched on it in um, in the, that kind of Cavs series, um, but I think in this week, um, Harden's averaged forty one minutes a game, KD's averaged forty, and Kyrie's averaged thirty eight and a half. So. That is worrying. It's not sustainable. I think, like you say, it kind of speaks to that second unit just not being good enough um, or the drop-off just being too much. Um, however, you know, KD did get player of the week this week. So that, you know, he's he was 3-0 in the week that he won um, player of the week, averaged 34 points, 5.3 rebounds, 8 assists uh, in 35 minutes um, with ridiculous efficiency. How does a man drop 30 points every game but make it look so effortless? Yeah, it's you're 100%. He does make it look effortless. I think Sarah Kustok summed it up really well. I can't remember what game it was, but she said that KD had a quiet 30 points, which sounds absolutely crazy, but it was true. It's just, I think when you expect so much from a player and they're maybe not doing the flashy things like your... Um, kind of your crossovers and your flashy dunks, you sometimes miss how efficient they actually are. Um, and KD, for me, he's just incredible. I mean, you do expect it to go in every time he takes a shot. Um, even though it's times it doesn't look like it should go down, he just manages to find that space. And it's an absolute pleasure to watch him. I just think if you go back to how long we actually had to wait to watch KD play, and there was a lot of frustration at times like having to wait is more kind of impatience, but it was completely worth the wait. And I just think we're so lucky to get a player like that when obviously we gave up so much for Harden, um, the Clippers gave up so much for Kawhi, um, kind of all these teams are giving up their kind of future four players, but we've got KD in free agency, which says so much about KD as a person. It says so much about the Nets as an organisation. But uh, yeah, he just blows my mind every time he steps in the court. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty much automatic that he's going to hit 30-plus each night. And and as Aidan says, there's nights that it doesn't even seem like he's up to much. There are other players who maybe stand out more, whether that's just missing more easy shots or they're maybe doing a fancy fancy crossover or whatever. But KD, yeah, get, gets the ball and he scores. I mean, you can't really ask for much more than that. And to be honest, I'm quite glad that he plays the way he does. You, you know he's going to do it. It's not like you're sitting there going, oh, is he or isn't he? You just know it. And that's huge I think for, for a fan watching obviously you know that you're kind of guaranteed that 30 points each night but then that must be a massive boost for the whole team as well knowing that no matter what we do he, he's getting 30 points because he'll take the game into his own hands if needed and on, on many occasions I've seen KD 
go for a few drives to the basket or he'll kind of post up and he'll, he'll manage to kind of turn and lose his man and yeah, just, just sink shots that you, you don't think would go in. So yeah, I mean, I think KD, if we're to rank the kind of stars we've got, he is above both Harden and Kyrie, maybe by several levels, he is that good and yeah, anyone that had doubts about him was, was certainly wrong because KD, as I've said so many times, he is back and I still don't think he's even fully back yet. I think there's still a little bit where he's going to get a wee bit better. He's still kind of finding his groove. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, what what more can you say? Absolutely fantastic. So he, he, I, he could be another MVP. I don't want to say it because mm. I just sound like a homer, but like the, the narrative, like the media loves a narrative and, and the story of him coming back from that injury, balling out to an MVP standard and him, him winning MVP would just be next level. So that I, you know, I'm, I'm getting more and more confident with that as the, as the games go by. Um, but that's as the, you know, the, the big three coming together to form a new team um, is starting to gel. Another piece that will have to uh, weave their way into this team is uh, the Nets actually, you know, used up one of the free roster spots this week uh, and signed Norvell Pell. Um, a six foot ten, two hundred and thirty pound rim protector. Um, he turns twenty eight in February, so I thought he was actually a lot younger, but he's actually a bit more of an established. You know, he's got a bit more of that veteran presence. Hopefully, um, in twenty four games with the Sixers last season, Pell averaged four point eight blocks per thirty six minutes, um, which um, earned him his two way contract being converted into a standard NBA contract. Um, so yeah, lads, have you had a little uh, a little dig into Pell's um, highlights and see what he might bring to this next team? I mean, I can't claim to know much about Pell as, as a player. I did kind of a wee week in a nosy and did see that in his high school career, he was the number one ranked centre. Obviously, he's not quite turned into that player. But as you say, Matt, he's 27, just about to turn 28. So whilst time maybe is running out, there is still a little bit of time for him to maybe maybe live up to that potential. He was a former Taiwanese League All-Star. So, I mean, that, that says all you need to know about that. Obviously, a, a MVP caliber player in the making, clearly. But, yeah, I mean, I think looking at it, it, it fills a position in need, obviously. He's got NBA experience. He's got a vast experience of playing all around the world. He's played in Italy, Taiwan. I believe he's played in China and I think even Israel. So, yeah, he's, he certainly has a lot of different experiences that he can can bring to this team because I think whilst he's maybe not going to be the flashiest of players and probably won't be the starter, having that kind of experience and know-how from different areas, that, that can be just as valuable in some cases, especially for a kind of role player, which I'd imagine he will be. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll make my decision on this one once I see him on the court and he's played a good few games. Because personally, I did feel slightly underwhelmed when it got announced. Uh, I think I think that was down to the fact that I've seen Sean Marks do some really interesting decisions in the past where he's maybe brought in someone like, I, I, I'm trying to think of names going back the way, I can't even think of one, like a, a big man who doesn't usually see much minutes in the floor and then he maybe brings in like a couple of guards. And I've, I do have this worry in the back of my mind that, we're gonna, we've signed Pell and then we're gonna maybe bring in a couple of other guards to fill in those spaces. And that, that honestly, I think I'd cry if we didn't bring in another center. Cause I think we were crying out for uh, a veteran big man that's played in the playoffs and we need someone that's really savvy and just knows the league inside out. I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, Matt, he's, 
he's 27, 28. He's, he's not played that many minutes in the league, which frightens me. And I just think for, I mean, you're getting a shot blocking big man. Um, he's definitely not going to fill the void that Jarrett Allen's left, uh, not immediately anyway. Um, but there's always that hope that he's going to turn into the next diamond in the rough project, uh, like Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, but yeah, I think I'll wait to see him on the court. Um, but I do think we desperately need another centre. And I don't think we can rely on even Claxton coming back. I don't think we can rely on that, especially him coming off an injury, being so young. We've still not seen many minutes for Claxton. So I just think we'd still need someone in there who is just can, someone like a JaVale McGee, as we kind of uh, touched on um, a few weeks ago, would be absolutely perfect. Um, but yeah, again, it's another big body and I'm more than happy to get as many players over six foot seven that we can get. Yeah, that's, that's the main thing for me, I think. It's just, it's that size. Um, he's a big old boy. And, you know, I think um, I've got it here. So in the 2018-19 season, so not the season just gone, the season just before that, uh, he was top three in both Defensive Player of the Year and Most Improved Player award voting in the uh, G League. Um, so, you know, pinch yourself with G League. But, you know, we've, as you quite rightly say, we've had some diamonds in the rough from the G League. Um, and yeah, his, his stats are quite impressive. Um, he had 13 doubles and doubles in that season as well. Um, and there was a stretch where he had seven double doubles in a row. Um, and in that seven game stretch, he had three straight games with at least 20 points and 15 rebounds. Um, and two of those three, uh, he had seven blocks in a game. So if he can translate some of that production into the, into the big leagues, into his probably not very many minutes um, with DeAndre Jordan, uh, Jeff Green ahead of him, uh, KD playing five at some points in the game. Um, then, yeah, I just think he looks like a very aggressive rebounder and rim protector, and that's exactly what we need. Um, and, yeah, in I guess in, in Sean Marks we trust, and hopefully it's just another one of these um, deep scout report people that we can actually do something with. Uh, but you're quite right, Aiden. time will tell. Um, so that's the news from this week. Um, the Nets had a busy, a busy game, uh, a busy week. Sorry, in terms of games, uh, we started off with a win against the Bucks. Um, we won one twenty-five to one twenty-three. Um, Nets, after having a really, really good shooting night, um, Joe Harris and Katie coming up clutch in that fourth quarter, um, hitting some big shots, um, which will remedy the jokes going background of KD and Kyrie missing uh, some late game opportunities uh, to see the Nets win. Um, Harden with another 34 point, 12 assist uh, game. Um, what did you guys think of the, the Bucks win? Yeah, for me, I mean, it was the best game of the season so far in terms of our entertainment value. Um, person who stood out for me actually was DeAndre Jordan. I mean, you can slag DeAndre, but when one of your players plays well, you've got to give them their give them their due. And I felt that that was his best game in a long time. Um, yeah, in terms of our starters, they were all in double figures. Um, and you've got to think playing against the Bucks without Kyrie and without Spencer. And we're getting that win. And at times I felt it could have been a more convincing win for the Nets. Um, it's it's good to see because obviously these are going to be the teams that we're probably going to have to go through if we want to win at all. Um, in terms of the Bucks, I think they've definitely got a bit of work to do. I think uh, that not getting Bogdan Bogdanovich and that trade is probably going to affect them quite a lot. Um, I think Brook Lopez took far too many threes um, than he should have been taken. It just shows that 
they don't have a, a whole lot of shooting on that team. Um, so yeah, I think it's positive for us to to see that we we can match up with the the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I mean, I think on last week's pod, I said if we were going to drop a game this week, it would probably be this one. And lo and behold, that that wasn't the case. But we come we came away for an absolutely huge win. It was a, a fourth win in a row, and. Yeah, as Aidan says, they're the kind of teams that we need to be beating. And I think it's a real statement. Obviously, that was without Kyrie. That was just a hardening KD game. And when you say it only, like they're not two of the best players in the NBA in the past decade or whatever. Yeah, we but had to make do. Like, obviously, having Kyrie there would have made things a little easier. But yeah, I mean, I think, as Aidan says, all the starters were really good. KD and Harden both, both were 30 plus points. And yeah, I mean, I think the, the win could have maybe been a bit more convincing than it ultimately was come the end. But yeah, I mean, you're going to take that all day long. But unfortunately, as we'll get on to, we weren't kind of able to play like that for the rest of the week. Yeah, it's it's a it's a funny one. Um, as you say, really, really good performances from um, James Harden and KD. But we only had 15 points off the bench that game, which is crazy. Um, so the, the second unit definitely, definitely need to put a shift in. Um, you alluded rightly to, you know, the Bucks only shot 29% from free. So if, you know, if they're going to keep shooting and they're not going to give them, then I suppose you give them that. Um, but it's a bit of a strange one. I don't know if you guys have noticed the pattern this season where we, we beat the teams that we should be the toughest test. And then we, we whoopsie on the teams that we don't. So, you know, we've had great wins against, Boston and and Philly and now the Bucks, but then we'll lose to, you know, the Wizards and the Hawks and obviously what we'll get onto just in a second is is the Cavs. So, I'm not sure if that what that says about this team. Um, maybe it's that you know in the against the teams that they're less afraid of. Maybe they're going to be a bit more experimental potentially. Um, and they're really going to dial in when it comes to the teams that, you know, they're potentially going to be uh, playoff series against on the way to that Eastern Conference final. But I thought that was just an interesting little nugget. Um, I don't think there's any more getting around it, lads, unfortunately. We're going to have to talk about the double L's from uh, our visit to Cleveland. Um, some were dubbing it the Jarrett Allen revenge game. Um, but the first um, game was a double overtime thriller um, to start off this little mini-series. Uh, KD dropping 38, Kyrie dropping 37. Um, you know, so they put up big numbers, another triple-double triple from Harden with 21, 12, and 10. But, you know, it's I think we just ran out of gas. We got outscored uh, 20 points to eight in this final overtime period. Um, Colin Sexton looking like an MVP. Um what did you guys make of that first uh, shocking, shocking loss to the lowly Cavaliers? I mean, this was one of the games that I said that we were obliged to win. I think I said we were obliged to beat the Cavs in both of them. So it's completely on me that the Nets lost, clearly. Um, but yeah, as you say, double overtime. And I mean, when it's a game not involving your team, they're the games you love. It's, it's extra basketball, bonus basketball, I think the commentators were saying on the night. And yeah, unfortunately for the Nets, it didn't really work out. Colin Sexton, as you rightly say, turned into the second coming of Michael Jordan. He was just sinking shot after shot after shot. And I mean, we could have completely avoided this. I think it was kind of while well, the final few seconds were going down, they called a timeout or there was a foul or something like that. And all we had to do was foul them because if we'd fouled them, even if they'd got like 
obviously the shot would have had to have went in. They could have then won and got four-point play had they then scored the free-throw. But, I mean, for me, you've got to take that chance because, as I'd said earlier on, KD, Harden and Kyrie, who were all playing for the first time that night, all played for the best part of an hour. They were all absolutely knackered to come the end of it. And, I mean, the rest of the team didn't really help. It was a very much a kind of star star focused game from us but yeah I mean to 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 take it into double overtime obviously like all right okay we'll maybe sneak this and or it'll be another close one but yeah the way that we kind of collapsed I think it was just a case of we'd completely run out of gas. Yeah I mean just kind of going on from your point that you made Matt obviously about us kind of winning against the the good teams losing against the bad teams I actually think that the kind of games that we've lost it has a lot to the fact that Teams are, are rising to the occasion when they play against the Nets. I think Paul Paul from our Discord, he made a really good point. He said every the Nets are now every team's cup final. And it is like that. I mean, you saw how much it meant to the Cavs at the end there. Um, and the way they were going on about it on social media, it was like they, they won the chip. But um, yeah, just because we've got three of the league's best players doesn't make us immune from silly losses, um, especially this early on uh, with the new team. Um, I mean, yeah, Colin Sexton, is he ever going to have a shooting night like that again? It does happen. I mean, we've seen the Nets win games like that in the past. I think in kind of recent years, Spencer Dinwiddie against Houston, and they were absolutely shocked because everything he was shooting was going in. And it, it does kind of sometimes happen where shots aren't going down for you and they're going down for the other team. And it's just one of these things. I wasn't overly concerned with it in terms of the way the Nets played at times. I mean, defensively, they were poor. But, I mean, yeah, the Cavs were just playing the best basketball they're probably going to play this season. Um, And, yeah, I think they just need to learn to gel more and learn from their mistakes, as Cami rightly said, that why they didn't foul, I do not have a clue, because they done it last night um, and won the game because of that reason. And it's like, why is that not triggering for some of the guys? Um, But, yeah, it's going to come eventually. And it's good to get these silly losses out now, um, this early on in the year, especially when we're probably going to be going deep into the playoffs. That's right. Yeah, I think you know if you had a look on Twitter that over this the, these last two games, then it you know it's everyone was well. Stephen A had already said that Kyrie should retire, but like they you know <laughs> we might as well have packed in the season and said it was all over and we were just another LA Clippers team, but. Yeah, like as you quite rightly say that you know championships aren't won in January. It's a it's a team that's brand new together, so it sucks, and we should have found should have really found a way to win, um, especially because some some aspects of it were super avoidable. Um, but yeah, as you say, sometimes sometimes you get hot, and these are these are called banana skin teams and banana skin games for a reason, and this is exactly what we saw. Because going into the second game. Um, we got another L, kept it in regulation, wasn't quite as close, uh, 113 to 125. Um, out-rebounded, out-scored, out-hustled. Um, the Cavs recorded 50 rebounds against the Nets 29. The Cavs scored 70 points in the paint um, versus 46 for the Nets and 53 points off the Cavs bench against the Nets 31. Um, I remember we kind of said when... Um, Cleveland got Jarrett Allen, which they've already got a thousand bigs. Um, it's already, you know, I think that was always going to be a bit of a bad matchup for us because we know that our interior defense isn't great. Um, and I think, you know, those rebounds and those uh, points in the paint really go to prove that really. Um, what did you guys make of the second game? Any better or worse or about the same? I'd say I was more concerned with this one than the first one. 
um, for for what you just said, Matt. Basically, the points in the paint was absolutely embarrassing. And yeah, Jarrett Allen is the perfect player to expose that uh, playing against our second unit. I mean, yeah, it was really difficult to watch at times, especially that dunk over Joe, man. That was absolutely a killer. Um, but yeah, it just it just shows the issues that we've got with this team and the defending bigs in the paint have been a problem for such a long time and you're just crying out for them to fix that issue. It's, it's clearly obvious that that's a problem. Um, and yeah, it's, it's someone like Jarrett Allen, who we know all about, um, has probably one of his best games this season because he's playing against a terrible uh, Nets um, sort of defence. But yeah, I just think they, they've got so much to learn in terms of defending bigs that they're going to have, uh, bigs are going to have their kind of career highs like every single time you play. And it feels like that's been going on for years now. Um, and this game, yeah, I, I'm starting to think that we're getting to kind of the end of that stage where we're losing so many points in the paint with kind of getting KD in and having DJ kind of two big bodies in there. But it's still an issue. And yeah, I thought it was concerning. I mean, Matt, you stole all my stats for this game, so <laughs> so I'm now quite limited in what, what I was going to say because I think, as you say, they, they quite clearly show why we lost this game in, in such a manner that we did, and this was maybe even the worst performance we've seen from the Nets. Obviously, KD was was load-managed for this one. It was just Kyrie and Harden, so we obviously kind of got to see the first first game of just them having also previously seen Harden and KD just play together, and yeah, I mean, if, what can you really say that, that the pair of you haven't already said? It was just, it was, it was rubbish. And when you're staying up that early in the morning, we tried the, the, the I'm going to bed, I've had enough of this trick in the Discord <laughs> chat that's worked a few times this season. But no, it, nothing was going to save us on this night, unfortunately. So from the double L's in Cleveland, uh, it was back to the W column uh, against Miami. Um, we won 128 to 124, uh, thanks in no small part to Kyrie Irving coming back and scoring 18 points in the fourth quarter to take us over the line. Um, we finally got some rebounds. Um, however, we did give up uh, a career high to Bam Adebayo, who had 41 on the night. Um, guys, what do you think about the, uh, about the Miami game? I mean, whilst the final scoreline may not suggest this, we absolutely cruised this one up until the fourth quarter. I mean, I think we went into that fourth 14 or 15 points ahead and then to only win by four, it certainly wasn't kind of what, what we were expecting and certainly made for a bit more of a nervier finish than we expected. Obviously, the kind of final minute or so seemed to take forever with all the fouls and obviously us scoring them, uh, take, and then them scoring us taking free throws and like, yeah, it just seemed to take forever. But obviously... Managed to get this one done, as you said. Kyrie Irving was absolutely huge in the fourth quarter, kind of similar to like he was in that game against Atlanta when when we really needed someone to step up. He done it once again, and that that's really what you need. I mean, I think the the main talking point from this one for me though was how James Harden kind of took a bit of a back seat. Obviously, we've seen him put up triple doubles with twenty plus points a, a few times in his next career already, but. On this occasion, he was he was very, very quiet. I only shot eight times at all match. Only two makes was zero from zero zero makes from three with from five attempts. And yeah, he, he finished the night with I think eleven or twelve assists. So it wasn't nice to kind of see him facilitate, but for a player of his caliber and with his shooting ability, it was very, very strange not to kind of see him take advantage of that. When you look at kind of the other numbers, KD had 19 shots, Kyrie had 
17 and Joey Buckets had 14. And I must say that Joey Buckets was absolutely outstanding. He got himself seven, seven frees in this one. There were plenty of fist pumps. And yeah, I mean, it was absolutely superb from him. And as I say, we certainly made it a lot harder than we really needed to. But I mean, to get back in the win column after two really poor games, and even though, as you pointed out, Matt, another career high for, for a big man in Bama Adebayo, we still managed to get the job done and end, end the week on a high note after a bit of a kind of bum note during the week. Yeah, I think you summed that up perfectly, Cammy, just with the fact that it should have been probably a bigger win for the Nets than it was. It, it, it certainly doesn't do the game justice if you actually watch the game just for the way it was going at the end with three free throws. Um, Duncan Robinson hitting a few threes at the end in the last few seconds. Um, but yeah, I mean, to beat obviously the Bucks at the start of the week, who are certainly one of the championship favourites, um, and then to beat the the Heat to end the week, um, who were obviously the NBA finalists last year, um, you can certainly take some positives from that, even it, even with a lot of their players being out with kind of illness and injuries. Um, it's, it's great to kind of beat those teams as, as they will probably be up there again at the end of the year. Um, yeah, Joey Buckets, I thought he was incredible in that first quarter. He was unbelievable from three. Um, I loved as well the variety because he, he, the first shot that he got, which was the first bucket of the game, was just a, ca- a catch um, a catch and shoot, sorry. And then he, um, he kind of done it off his dribble for the second one as well, which I love to see the variety in his game. Um, and it just shows he's so much more than a shooter. Um, but yeah, James Harden, kind of going on from what I said earlier about him and Kyrie, kind of managing how they're going to facilitate. I think this one's another telling one. That obviously, Harden's came from Houston, where he's been the, the main man, putting up loads of shots constantly, um, to finally kind of almost taking a back seat with KD and Kyrie. Um, I would like to see him find a happy medium again with, the way he, because he's such a good shooter, um, he's a great facilitator as well, but he needs to be getting up more shots than he did. Um, but yeah, that's a small criticism for another good win, I'd say. Um, and it, yeah, as you said, Cammy, it's good to get back another win after those two poor losses. Yeah, I got, yeah, you guys have, have covered it perfectly. I think just with, with Kyrie just being so efficient and so clutch, I think, you know, to have that as your, your quote-unquote third option uh, behind KD and James Harden is, is such luxury. I, I saw a tweet earlier where he's averaging 29, 5, 29, 5.8 and 4.6 on 50-40-90 club splits, which is ridiculous. Um, and he's sixth in the NBA in player efficiency, um, and he leads the NBA in fourth quarter scoring at uh, 9.8 points per game. And, you know, as you say, to, to have these guys play for your team, it still doesn't feel real. I think this is probably going to be the tagline of the podcast forever. It just still doesn't feel real. But, um, yeah, it's, it's um, a great performance by Kyrie. Um, as we record, we, we're still away in that second game against Miami. But... Um, Fingers crossed for more of the same. Um, off, off air, off camera, off pod, I said to you guys I had a stat of the week, which I'm going to blow your mind with. Um, but I was looking through and just prepping for, for the pod. And this week, the player with the best three-point percentage uh, with 63.2%, um, he's dra- draining three attempts at three threes off 4.8 attempts. Do you know who it is? 
Okay. Jeff Green. It's Jeff Green. Jeff Green. 34-year-old Uncle Good Jeff numbers. Green is absolutely on fire from free. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull out a stat of the week every week, but <laughs> I just thought I'd share, share that with you. That's, you know, I think he had a bit of beef this week um, about the contract he's on, I think. Um, but from the Nets' point of view, getting that kind of production from a, from a vet minimum guy is absolutely mint. Um, so I thought I'd just share that with you guys. Um, as it stands, so that's, uh, that's our, our look back at the week that was. Uh, the Nets are currently fifth in the East, uh, only two and a half games back from Philly, who have the one seed. Uh, we got a 10 and 8 record, um, but it feels like we've played the most games in the East. Um, so a bit of downtime. A bit of practice time would be absolutely mint, um, and yeah, it's just it's just a really really good time to be a Nets fan, and I think we've got a lot more to show this team. Um, moving on, we've got a couple of listener questions, which I thought I'd uh, get your guys' take on. Um, so first off, we've got Ishan Araya on NBA on Twitter. Uh, sorry, I definitely definitely butchered your name. Um, but they say, what would it take this year for you to pull the plug on a Kyrie trade in order to rebuild your bench? Uh, what did you guys think of that one? Um, it would take Kyrie requesting a trade. That's the only thing I could actually see. Uh, the, the only reason that they would trade Kyrie, I think, is if he actually wanted to leave. Because they're a package, regardless of what you say, Kyrie and KD are a package. And if the Nets traded Kyrie, KD would be absolutely livid. And we do not want that man to be unhappy. So yeah, that is the only reason that I would trade uh, Kyrie. I don't think there's a reason. Plus, why would you trade a guy with that's in the 50-40-90 uh, club and he's putting up the numbers at the end? Why are, why are people talking about wanting to trade Kyrie? Um, but yeah, I can see what um, Eshin's talking about with regards to, to trying to rebuild the bench again. But yeah, trading Kyrie Irving isn't the way to go about it. Yeah, I mean, as Aidan says, unless he has to be traded, he's going absolutely nowhere. And whilst we can maybe make up some nice fantasy trades, I mean, I quite happily take your Steph Curry's, your Nikola Jokic's, and <laughs> yeah, Zion. Let's just bring everyone in for, for Kyrie and some mad 30-team deal. But, I mean, yeah, other than something crazy like that happening or him asking to, to leave, and I don't think there's much point giving too much thought to this because he, he's ultimately going to be on nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's I'm making it three for three. Yeah, unless he pulls some sort of James Harden, I don't want to be here and I'm going to be a headache while I'm here until you get me gone. Kyrie's not going anywhere and nor should he. Obviously, we see that, you know, trade Kyrie was trending on Twitter. And, and I think it was either um, Nolan Jensen or Billy Reinhardt that kind of um, shared a tweet that was like, I don't see any of this chat from actual net fans. It's just mm -hmm. like, media or Kyrie haters or other team fans that say we should blow this up but for people that actually follow the team there's just no way it's going to happen and no one wants that to happen at all um so i hope that answers your question we've got another one from matt 31 smith on twitter um what center would you choose in a fantasy trade to join this next team or which nba legend would you add to this current Nets team and why i thought this was a wicked question what did you guys think um yeah uh, i'll give an answer for both um you could easily 
if you're for a fantasy trade, you could easily go for the best centre in the league, which is probably Jokic or Embiid. But I'd probably take someone like Miles Turner. Um, I just think someone like him, who's still quite young, and he's probably one of the best defensive centres in the league, is what we need. We go on about it every week, but we would kill for someone like Miles Turner blocking shots in the paint for us. Um, but yeah, let's go for a legend as well. I'd love um, to get Shaq in his prime playing on this Nets team. Uh, but I think the main reason for that is getting back to doing what he does best and getting out of that TNT studio where he's absolutely toxic at the moment. Some of the things he's coming out with, honestly, I never watched that show just because, oh, it's, I don't even think it should be a show anymore, to be honest. Um, but I wonder if Shaq could be okay with DeAndre Jordan starting over him. I mean, for the kind of fantasy trade, I mean, that that's exactly what it is. So, so you're going to want one of the best, whether it's AD, Jokic, Embiid, or, or after the performance of the night, even Bam Adebayo, who I think is going to be right up there in the next few years as one of the best in the league, if, if he's not already considered that. And yeah, same for me, Prime Shaq. And I, I, I don't think we'd maybe bring him out the TNT studios now. I think he's maybe a bit past it. And yeah, <laughs> maybe he is best staying there for now. But if, if you had the... The chance to kind of bring back a time machine and get him kind of prime again. Yeah, you take that all day long. But yeah, I mean, if we were only kind of talking centres, it would have to be Shaq. But then if, if we kind of expanded that to all positions, I mean, be here all night discussing who we'd want and yeah, how, how it would be here forever. Yeah, we would uh, definitely uh, burn a couple of hours uh, chatting about our, our all-time team. But for, for current NBA uh, centers, I went with Rudy Gobert. Like you say, like you would just pick one of the best defensive centers um, it, uh, that's available in the league. If it was an absolute fantasy trade, um, I think he would be a great fit uh, just for that desperate rim protection that we need. Um, I went a little bit old school with my uh, NBA legend. I went with Ben Wallace um, from that 04 Pistons team just because he was an absolute unit and he was just a defensive powerhouse. Um, but I also thought um, Dennis Rodman as well, because, you know, we need we need that rebound. In, and that's that's something that that man excelled in. So I thought, mm. you know, those two would be quite good. But my preference would be Big Ben Wallace, I think. Um, one, of, one of my sneaky all time um, best players, really. Um, but while we're talking about uh, centers, what do you guys make of the JaVale McGee rumors? Um, we're rumored to be lining up uh, some sort of trade deal. So we've got some open roster spots, but this would be a trade. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd happily take JaVale McGee, obviously, well, kind of knows his way to a championship. I think he won two in Golden State and was also on the successful Lakers team last year. And I mean, he's a good guy as well. I, I don't know if you've watched his vlogs kind of during the NBA bubble, but I really enjoyed kind of that aspect. And I think from a Nets perspective, it would be quite cool seeing the kind of behind the scenes of KD and Kyrie and Harden and stuff like that. And JaVale does it in a way where it's not so intrusive where he's pestering people. I know LeBron featured in some of his vlogs, but it wasn't just ramming it down your throat. Oh, look, here's LeBron to get the clicks. Like he was kind of going around the team. And yeah, it was just a kind of a good character to have. And I think you don't really need to say much about what, what he'd bring on the court because he, he would undoubtedly improve us. Very, very good defender and, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be very happy if we managed to get him in, provided the price is right. But given the Cavs have about 100 centres, you'd like to think they might not be expecting too much in return. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be one of those names that has been out there since the trade actually went down uh, for James Harden, that uh, JaVale McGee would be a great person to get in. I don't think he's the perfect option to get in this team, but someone that's won three championships is definitely 
definitely a plus when you can get that type of experience on the team. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he's the perfect option in terms of, he doesn't come up with kind of great production, but he does the dirty work. And I, I think you do need a couple of players like that on this team. Um, in terms of the price, yeah, I, I think probably a second round pick would be enough to get JaVale McGee, um, especially someone that's not playing at all at the moment. Um, but in terms of numbers, obviously the Nets, Nets being over the cap, I don't, I don't know how it would work out exactly. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to see someone like him in the team just for the reasons that we talk about all the time. I think he's a, he's good at the rim, he's good defensively, and yeah, we just need as many big man minutes as we can get. Yeah, nice. No, I'm not quite sure what contract he's signed with the Cavs, but I don't know if there could be a better angle if it was like a buyout or... You know, using that except those exceptions we've got um, with Spencer Dinwiddie to kind of sign him. I think a trade would be a bit weird if we're giving up more assets and more players when we've already got open roster spots. Um, I think the money wise, I think um, I think he's on about four and a half, and Spencer's um, exception is for five and a half. So I think I think the money works there, but I, you know, I'm I'm no expert on the on the um, on the buyout market, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it would be really cool um, if we can get him for the right price. Um, I think, yeah, I think more for the experience, as you kind of say, Aiden, like he's won championships, he's won championships recently, and he's won championships with KD. Um, so all that chemistry and experience and all this kind of stuff, I think is invaluable. Um, and especially if you get him for a decent price, um, it would be a good shout. Um, final listener question we got... Um, which I think I think kind of started off as a bit of a a bit of a joke on our Discord server. Um, we had Paul and Tyler both on Discord, um, who in in a roundabout way both I think kind of wanted our thoughts on Landry Shamet. Um, what do you guys think of uh, um, Trey Young's older brother lookalike <laughs> um, and what he's been to this net team? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good question, actually, to be honest with you, because it's an interesting talking point, um, Sham, at the moment. Um, I, I don't know if you remember when we were doing our predictions at the start, I actually said that Sham would be the most improved player. Um, and yeah, he could potentially still win it, but he needs to have a massive turnaround. Um, first thing I've kind of noticed on Shamit just from the start of the season, he's so much more one-dimensional than I actually thought he was uh, when we first traded for him. Um He's evidently obviously not shooting the ball well at the moment. Um, and due to that, because that's the kind of only thing he really does at a good, at a good standard when he, when he is shooting well, he's a negative impact on the court because he's, he's not scoring. I mean, I see him as a bit of like an Alan Crabb type figure this year when he was having a shooting woes. Um, and they're, they're really kind of only valuable when they're shooting the ball well. Um, in terms of valuable, you can obviously see that if he was shooting the ball well at the moment, there was a good chance we'd probably still have Jarrett Allen because they were trying to flip him for a first-rounder and no team would pay a first-rounder for uh, Landry Shamit with the way he's been performing so far this year. Um, I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing and he's, he's obviously still one of our one of our guys. Um, so I'd love to see him improve and become a respectable role player. But yeah, he, I think last night was the first time that he... Did he play, play at all last night? Or did he get a cut? I think he got a few minutes. Um, but he certainly had a lessened role to, to what he's been having before. Um, and yeah, he's just not shooting the ball well at all at the moment. I hope he can turn it around. I mean, when he came in, I think we were all quite excited. So we knew kind of about his ability from free, but we've not quite seen that more often than not. He is missing and kind of looking at some of the stats he's got, the second lowest field goal percentage in the team with 32%, only 
Matt's favourite, Chris Jules has less, and obviously Jules is playing a lot less. So, I mean, I guess you could kind of kind of expect that. And then he's also got the third worst effective field goal percentage as well. And on top of that, he's also one of the lowest scorers per game as well. I think it's around about five points at the moment. And yeah, you kind of ask, why did we give up what we did? I think it was, was it the first round pick that we gave up to get him? Like, you do kind of question first first round picks, especially given we've we got rid of tons in that Harden trade, could be kind of valuable to us. And yeah, he's not quite lived up to that kind of value yet. But as Eden says, you'd like to hope they can turn things around. We have seen some flashes when he's hit shots, but certainly as when he's not shooting well, I mean, you can understand why he is kind of as low down in the rotation as he is at the moment. Yeah, just looking at. Um the game against Miami, he didn't play, which I think is a nice, um, a nice move from, from Steve Nash. Like if, if you're a shooter and your shot's not falling and we need to get a win, you, you know, you got to spend some time uh, in street clothes, unfortunately. Um, it feels like a little bit like a, like a Torian Prince from last season. Um, you know, we, he came in from Atlanta and we were like, Oh, he's a great shooter and he's all this kind of stuff. And he just didn't really produce um, so it feels a little bit like TP, um, but like sort of like we've just touched on it, it, it's great that he's not getting as many minutes. Like we were forced into kind of playing Torian Prince a lot um, last year um, because we, again, the roster just wasn't decimate was, was absolutely decimated. Um, I'm trying to find as I talk, which is quite unprofessional uh, about the guy who we were going to take, with that 19th pick for Landry Shamet, because I think as a rookie, he's having a really, really good season. And I saw that going around on Twitter. Sadiq B was it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, just like you say, hindsight being a wonderful thing. Um, but yeah, hopefully he's, you know, finds his form. Obviously, he's gone back a bit on that guard rotation with James Harden coming back in. Um, but then obviously we've uh, lost Karras as well, so maybe it evens out. But um for for a shooter that's finding his uh, finding his shot not falling, it's it's not a great place to be, uh, unfortunately. Um, but that's all the list of questions. So now all that's left to do uh, is to look ahead uh, to next week. Now um, we're recording on Sunday night, so tomorrow um, we have another game against Miami. Then it's um, oh not another game till Wednesday where we start a road trip. So Wednesday we're at Atlanta, followed by Friday, we're at OKC, and on Sunday night, we're at the Wizards. So all lowly teams uh, that we have previously lost to this season, I believe. Um, what do you guys think? What's your uh, prediction for that next run of games? I mean, I think the, the, the last week of predictions has shown that I'm a bit of a jinx, so I'm not <laughs> going to go into too much detail, obviously, as I said earlier on. Said we were obligated to to beat the Cavs. We lost both of them. Said we'd lose to the Bucks and we beat them. So, I mean, going by that logic, I should just say we'll we'll lose all four. But given my luck, at the same time, that, that probably will come true. So, yeah, I mean, as you've already pointed out, we've already played all these teams before. Mixed success. We obviously lost to the Wizards and OKC, and won one and lost one against the Hawks, and obviously beat beat the injury ravaged Heat. So, I mean. A bit of a mixed bag so far. Yeah, it's difficult to kind of tell us a road trip. We've had it quite quite good. We've played a lot of home games this season, or at least it feels that way, a lot of kind of back-to-back home games. And 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we kind of cope with being away from, from home for, for so long. But, I mean, you'd like to think we should manage to get the better of them, obviously, when we lost to the Wizards and OKC and the Hawks. It was obviously a wee bit earlier on in the season, although we're, what, 18 games in. That's actually about a quarter of the way through the season. And that, when I think it was Sarah Kustok pointed it out on the, the broadcast uh, against the Heat, I, I actually didn't realise that's how far we were in. So I'd like to think, since we kind of played them in the first handful of games or whatever, we have come on and now we've got the added firepower of hard and we should manage to, to get past a lot of them. But such as the next performances this season, you really can't tell. And I, I certainly wouldn't like to be placing any bets. But yeah, I'd like to hope that we can at least win two of them and make sure that we finish the week at 500. Yeah, it'll be interesting just purely for what, what you were saying there, Cammy. Obviously, we've played all these teams already. Um, and obviously, Atlanta and OKC especially, I think they gave us some really tough games. And I think they're teams that are going to be a lot better this year than than team uh, than fans actually thought they would be. Uh, I Yeah, I think with the added firepower, I think yeah we could easily win three of these. We could win four, but I think... We've learned our lessons in the last few weeks of as predicting us to get clean sweeps. I'd, I'd, I'd like to say maybe three wins. I'd be happy with that. Um, something to look out for as well. Obviously, we're getting to that deadline with filling those roster spots. be interesting to see if we could bring in a couple of bodies. Um, obviously, um, with uh, Pele, with Pele, sorry, he um, is having a, I think he's having a test at the moment, which is why they haven't made it official. Um, and if we get JaVale McGee in, if we do get him, he can just come straight in because he's already with a team. Um, so if we do get someone else that's a free agent, they would then have to go through that testing process. So it'd be nice to get someone like McGee in and then they could just come straight in and provide an impact. But I think it's, is it Friday next week? I think it's the deadline for filming those spots. Um, sometime next week. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if we do something there. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm not quite sure the, the days. It was two, they had basically two weeks from the hardened trade getting confirmed, which obviously was a little bit um, slowed down because of um, Karras' medical and all that kind of good stuff. Um, I think I'm going to go, I want, the same as you, I want to go 4 and 0, but I'm going to go 3 and 1. Um, I don't know who we're going to slip up against. Um, but it just feels very netsy that we will slip up against someone, um, unfortunately. Um, so I'm I'm going to say three and one. Um, it, you know, it could you know by the by the time this comes out, we may have already slipped up against this uh, the second game in, against Miami, but but we shall see. Um, but yeah, as we say, it's you know if this is a quarter way through the season, um, then you know I think fifth seed two and a half games back from the top isn't a bad place to be. Um, but that's it for this week. Um, so thanks, lads, for joining us. Uh, thanks to you for listening and we'll catch you next time. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks again to Aidan and Cammy for joining me. Make sure you're subscribed to BKT UK wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and make sure you hit us up on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also check out UKNetsFans.com. We'll see you next time.